When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. You know me, my name's Mac, and thanks for coming back for another episode. Um, Before we get started, thank you so much to Mo for last week's episode, my best friend Mo. If you guys check that episode out, oh man, probably one of my most fun, enjoyable episodes to do. We were cracking up and you guys, you know, we got such good feedback about that and you guys are saying that we should start a podcast together and we've actually talked about that. Um, So Mo, thanks so much. Thank you guys for all your feedback. Um, Thanks for all the jokes you guys have been sending me about joking about how my ex said, um, you know, oh, you know, I I told her, I hear your your anger rising right now and you need to calm down. And she goes, no, 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 I'm just eating a sandwich. And oh my God, you guys are so funny. You guys are so funny. And and thanks for uh, the feedback on that. also, I, I want to tell you guys some good news. Um, about a month ago, I recorded an episode, and uh, in the episode, I was going over my court motion. This was episode 13, I believe, um, and I was going over my court motion, and before I actually went into uh, you know the actual courtroom, I shared with you guys that I was losing my job, and I was told the day before that I was losing my job. Um, well, I'm here to tell you today that today, ironically is my last day at that job. But I just got a call that I am now being hired for a position in New York City where I'll be making $10,000 more than I was at my old job. So it is amazing how the world works. It's amazing how, I'm gonna say it's amazing how God works in my life. Um, I am so thankful, I am so grateful, and uh, my life's gonna move on, and I'm excited about it. Um, I got a really great guest for you guys today. Um, before we get into it, you know, I'm going to plug my normal stuff. So please follow me on Instagram. Please follow me on TikTok. It's dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Um, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify and on Apple podcasts. Please leave a review if you like the show. Um, and also if you want to be a part of the show, um, Email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com and let's do an episode. Um, I'm banking a lot of episodes here and you guys have some amazing stories. You guys are such overcomers. It's unbelievable. Um, This next guest that I'm going to bring in, um, what a story she's got. It's all about, well, there's a certain element to this story 
Um, and it's about the alcoholic narcissist. So if you can relate to this story, I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, I'd love for you to check it out. Okay, everybody. So welcome back to another episode. I am here with my new friend. Her name is Blake Sorensen. Blake, say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. (laughs) So uh, Blake is one of my followers on Instagram. Um, She has been very vocal about the podcast and uh, we've gotten to talking and I really like she's got an interesting story and you guys are in for a treat with this episode. So um, we've gotten to talking. She's been very vocal about my episodes and uh, I don't know whether she reached out through email or Instagram or something. Um, but there's a certain element to this story that I think a lot of you listeners out there are going to be really, you're really going to be able to relate to. Um, so Blake, it's kind of your episode. I mean, uh, I don't know where you want to start. If you want to start at the beginning or it's your, it's your episode. Where do you want to start? I feel like, um, I feel like I could start with, um, my early twenties meeting my ex-husband. I think that's a good place to start. All right, shoot, go for it. All right. So I am in my thirties. Um, now I met my ex-husband in 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, I was young. I was 21. Oh boy. You know? Yeah. Very young, young in, in retrospect, but, um, and I met him through friends and Mm -hmm. he had a very, very sad story and I am an empath. So I heard his story and I, my friend said, I think I, we've met this really great guy. I think that you guys would hit it off. And we did hit it off. He mm-hmm. was divorced. He was 21 and divorced with a child. Whoa, with a child. Yes. Jeez. With a child. And I've always been a child person. So the being young with a child didn't scare me off at all. I was definitely like, yeah, that's not, a, that's not an issue for me. Sounds like you got that so, internal maternal <laughs> instinct. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so it started back when we started dating. We were both 21 at the time. Right. And um, he, we started, we hit things off very, very quickly. Um, typically how you hear with a narcissistic um, relationship type, we hit it off very quickly. Um, things progressed pretty quickly. Um, he was, every time we hung out though, I did notice this is like a red flag from the beginning. I did notice that he drank often. Okay. He drank often and I thought it was peculiar, but he was in the military. Most of it was social. Most of it was around friends, you know, a way to relax and things like that. I did make a mention of his drinking about two months into our, our relationship that we had started. I said, you know, I feel like you, you use alcohol a lot as a relax, a relaxer. Like, do you, you know, I think that I've noticed that you've been drinking a lot. Right. He brought, he brushed it off entirely, you know, well, it's always social. All my friends do it. I'm only 21, 22 years old. This I was going to say, you do, do you attribute that to his immaturity or do you attribute that to, you said he had a rough upbringing and a rough childhood? Yes. I attributed it at the time to that. He was young and he was in the military and he was experiencing life. And I thought I was always kind of the oddball out of, I didn't really drink. I didn't really party. I didn't really rebel. So when I heard him say, these are my reasons, that's what I thought his reasons were. Did you guys party I didn't together? Know that, um, yes and no. We did a little bit of drinking together, but it was more, we would go out, I would be DD, <laughs> he would do the drinking, <laughs> he would do the drinking right. and I would drive home. Right. And, it, and I, I was fine with that because again, drinking wasn't my thing and it always did seem to be social. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, everything was normal, kosher again, red flag, blew it off. Not a big deal. Right. 
things progressed. He, um, we actually ended up moving in together after five months, which is pretty quick in, you know, regards to us. We were being, we were super young. Yeah. So we moved in five months at 21. Yeah. Yes. Especially him being already divorced and already having a kid. Yeah. That's pretty quick. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, our reason for moving in together so quickly was because he was deploying for the military. Mm. We lived about an hour and 20 minutes away from each other. And Mm -hmm. so we both kind of were just in a place in our lives that we're like, we, well, we're been together five months. Things are great. Why not? Let's just try this now because you're going to be gone for nearly a year. So let's see if we can make this work now. Now it's fine. So I ended up moving an hour and 20 minutes away. I got a job, moved in with him. He, things were a little bit weird when he moved in. He definitely was, I could tell was very particular, didn't want his things moved around. And in retrospect, my dad actually mentioned recently, he was like, I remember moving you into his home and him in even saying like, you're going to have to make way, like make a little bit of room for, you know, my daughter's things. And he did mention like, well, I just like things the way that I like things. And so my dad thought that was- Was he like a hoarder or something? No, he was the complete opposite complete opposite had a very specific place for everything he was actually that was what I found very attractive about him was the fact that he was a very clean man he was himself was very clean his house was very clean he even burned candles and I was like oh this is a really nice like bachelor pad type (laughs) (laughs) but it does definitely in hindsight he definitely suffers from some OCD issues along with his other things that he suffers from but so I I never I never the entire we were together nine years total never really me too had a had a space for me like my stuff ever in those nine years no matter how many times we moved Mm. so that was something um we moved in we lived together for about four months before he deployed uh three three four months before he deployed things were great seemingly great um we definitely, in regards to narcissism tendencies, he didn't, there wasn't love bombing in the literal sense. There wasn't lots of flowers and lots of presents and lots of gift giving and lots of this and lots of that. But he made me, and this is the worst part, he made me believe that he was love bombing me. So he would do things like before he deployed, we, he gave me his checkbook so that I could help you know, pay the bills. Cause we weren't in a place that we were going to join accounts, obviously, but yeah. we were splitting the bills. So he left his checkbook with me and he was like, this is a very big deal. I would never do this with anybody else. Oh. So you should be very, you should be very appreciative. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm super appreciative. Well, I <laughs> like, trust you. I trust absolutely. you. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. He would, he even, he would say things like, I never wanted to date anybody else after my ex-wife. You should feel very special that I'm willing to date anybody else. You know, it's funny, like, so I do, I do a lot of these interviews and, I, and I've said on past episodes, like certain things that people say jog my memory of some certain things that my ex did. And um, my ex did the same thing when she made me a house key to her apartment. I've never given anybody a house key to my apartment. And like, I was like, wow, like you feel like, Look at I'm, me. Right, I'm somebody. Yeah, totally. You just jogged my memory. I haven't thought about that in nine years. Yep. Yeah, they do that. So he definitely wasn't literal. There was no gift giving. There was no extravagance. There was no love bombing and everything like that. It was just, oh, I love you. This this exclusivity that uh, you guys had. And that's what he used to to make you think you were the one. 
Absolutely. I was super special because I was privy to his financial information and because I was allowed to live with him because I was allowed to be in his life, really. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So I guess our problem started when he actually did deploy. Um, I did feel bad for him, me being an empath. I felt bad for him. He's, his ex-wife cheated on him while he was deployed, actually, um, took took all of his money, basically. This was before, she cheated on him before you guys were together, right? There Was, was there any yes. overlap there or no? No, there was no overlap um, at all. He would definitely, that was never a thing. Um, but when he was, when they were younger, even younger than what we were, 18, 19, he did deploy. He had been deployed several times, but during one of his deployments, his wife, ex-wife did cheat on him and did mm-hmm. take all of his money and left. And that was, that's a really sad story to hear right off the bat, you know, because you're so, I'm, I was so one-sided. Like, I cannot believe somebody would do that to somebody else. That's really horrible. How could you cheat on somebody while they're deployed and take all their money and take your child and basically run away? I couldn't understand it for the life of me. That victim I understand it now. I understand it now. Not that I would ever do that, but I understand it. I empathize with her more than I ever thought I would ever <laughs> empathize with her ever. Yeah. Um, All the crazy ex-boyfriends. Now I'm the crazy ex-husband. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And she was, she was made out to be the crazy ex-wife, but she admits that she was the crazy ex-wife and that's the difference. But yes. So he deployed and things started to get a little weird. Um, the, the time difference is, was about, I think like 11 hours difference. So he, him being awake during his day would be like two o'clock in the morning my time. Mm. He would call every day at two o'clock in the morning, my time and expect me to answer, which was fine in my brain. It was fine. Everything is fine. I would definitely wake up for this man because I loved him so much. I can remember the first time I did not answer the phone at two o'clock in the morning. It was not good. Not good. I woke up to a horrific voicemail of where are you at? What are you doing? You didn't answer my phone calls. And I remember waiting for his call the next day and trying to explain, like, I was asleep. Like, that's how tired I was. I slept through your phone call at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, come on. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, things like, um, I'd be like, hey, me and this friend that introduced us, me and this friend are going to go out and we're going to have drinks. He'd be like, yeah, go have a great time. This is, it's going to be great. The next day. I can't believe you did that. I cannot believe you went out. I cannot believe you did that while I'm in another country. And I felt guilty. I felt so bad. I didn't realize I was being set up at the time, being set up for failure. You're going to tell me, yes, it's okay. Go do this. Have fun. But also I can't believe you did this to me was also horrible. That was probably around the time that I started secluding myself a lot. Mm -hmm. because to avoid the conflict and because I felt bad for him. I wanted to, I wanted him to trust me so bad that I was willing to do whatever it took in order for him to trust me. I wanted to prove to him that I was not his ex-wife. So then how did you seclude yourself when he wanted to call you at two o'clock in the morning? I secluded myself from my friends, not from him. Mm. I secluded myself from my friends. I did not go out for girls nights anymore. I didn't do anything really aside from work. Um, it even got to the point where I felt guilty for going, driving the hour and a half to go see my family because I didn't get good service in the area. So there'd be times that I wouldn't be able to answer his phone call and he would 
he'd be very unhappy. Why did you not answer my phone calls? Why are you doing this to me? I can't believe this. I'm in another country and I'm doing all of this for you. And you would not answer my phone calls. And it was never intentional. I know. Well, so like I would do the same sort of thing. And the thing is too, is like in the beginning, um, you know, I've heard about this a lot on like Instagram and stuff. Like they, I remember a conversation that I had with my ex where she was like, um, don't ever tell anybody about our business because once somebody sees you in a certain light, they can't unsee you that way. Right. And so, um, there would be times when I would tell like my best friends, right. And I'd be like, you know, she did this thing was really weird. Like I went out for pizza with my friends and she'd be like, yeah, go out for pizza with your friends. And then I'd come back and I'd get ridiculed for it. And then, um, my friends would be like, no, dude, that's a red, you know, and that, they wouldn't say it was a red flag, but that's basically the way they were communicating. And um, so I stopped telling my friends those things because I was like, I already know what they think. I already know what they feel, but I'm not ready to, to pull the plug on this. So what's the point of talking about it anymore? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I don't know if I had friends and family that actually felt that way. I um get to get in a little bit of a backstory. I grew up in a house where my mom did really cater to my dad in all those ways. My mom is where I get my empathy from. She is one of those people that that believes that everybody has good in them. Everybody can change. Everybody should be given the, the benefit of the doubt 100 times. And so I did talk to my mom a little bit to, about the things that weren't as embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and she was very much the complete opposite of like, Oh, I think you're making the right choice. You're being super patient. Look at everything that he's been through. And it just kind of fed my, it's not her fault. No, it isn't. So to continue on with the story. Yeah. The deployment went like that very on again, off again. Um, he came back. Things were actually really great for a really long time for, I say a really long time, but a really long time for us. For a couple Um, hours. Right. So he, he came back. We actually ended up moving out of our apartment and into a townhome. Very mm-hmm. shortly after that, we found out he was getting stationed to Colorado. So, and he, you know, asked me to come along with him. So that was really nice. So we decided that we were going to move to Colorado. Uh, we always did really good in those big moments, like through the actual bigger stresses that were more actual focus, we did really good. Mm-hmm. And so through the moves and through all these big things, we did really good. It was when the dust had settled from everything that I don't know if there was boredom that he just had to stir the pot. I'm not sure. Um, we moved to Colorado. We, yeah, we moved to Colorado. I got a job. He got a job. Things are pretty good. But again, I didn't really have a life outside of him. I didn't have a life outside of our life together because I didn't know anybody there. I did not have friends. I had a job. I helped pay bills. We did a lot together. Um, and your family was in Colorado, right? No, my family was in Arizona. So I had nobody. Now you're ostracized from everyone and you you have just him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the one or two times that I did go visit my family, it ran the same course of, I can't believe you didn't answer my phone calls. I can't believe you didn't answer my text messages. What could you be doing? Who are you seeing? Did you run into anybody at Target? He thinks you're sleeping with somebody at two o'clock in the morning when you're like, no, I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping. Not sleeping Literally with somebody. sleeping. Yeah. yeah. And on. I, yeah. It, it was, it, it was bad. I didn't realize how bad it was because when we were together and when we were secluded, things were really good. So that's kind of the way I lived my life for a little while. Um, I can remember, um, working where I was working, I was working for the military and him being military. And I remember somebody had approached me and was like, Oh yeah, you're so-and-so's wife. And I was like, well, we're not married. And he, she was like, you moved all the way here and you're not married. And I was like, no, 
like, of course I moved all the way here. I ended up mentioning that conversation to him. And I was like, I thought that was really weird that this person had said that it was weird that I moved here when we weren't married. And I think that's silly. And he was like, really, I would have told her that you should feel lucky that I even invited you to come. And it was, it was really rude. And I was like, well, I don't know. I feel like it was, it was kind of expected. Like we've Were you been pushing him together. to get married? No, I was not. I, mm. I mean, I was not pushing him to get married. I definitely know that I, that's the life that I wanted. And that's the life that I definitely wasn't ashamed of wanting. So it wasn't like, I was like, oh, I'm going to give you until this time. And then we must be married. It was more like, I can't wait for our life together. I cannot yeah. wait to continue our life together. I want marriage and babies with you. Not right. a timeline by any means. <laughs> well, look, and like you're moving, you're moving for him, for his job to be with him. You stayed with him when he was deployed. Like, yeah, this, you, he was your life. Yes, absolutely. And this is about two years into our relationship and we wow. weren't engaged yet. And that wasn't, that wasn't a big deal to me. Um, moving on, we did get engaged. We did get married. Um, we were married for about a year. Again, very on again, off again. I did not have friends. I did not go see my family very often. I did work, but I did work with a bunch of women. So it just Mm -hmm. kind of worked for our lifestyle. And that was probably the calmest of our relationship aside from drunken fights. And that's again, where the alcohol came into Mm -hmm. this man could go a month without drinking easily. Mm -hmm. Like if it meant where he was like, yeah, I'm going to get in super shape. I'll go a month without drinking. It was not a problem, but if he had one drink, it was never just one drink. He could never just have one beer. Once he had one beer, there was three. And once he had three, there was eight. And then it just was a spiral every single time. So there was a lot of drunken fights in between all of our good times, but I kind of, oh, well, he was drunk and he doesn't get drunk all the time. So that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. In my brain. It wasn't (laughs) okay. In in retrospect, you sound like, you sound like one of those things like uh, Blake thought everything was okay. But indeed, everything wasn't like like if Morgan Freeman was like narrating was your story. Not okay. <laughs> it's exactly what it was. Yes. Um, things got extra after I had our daughter. So we actually planned our daughter, my our our daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she everything. I want to say everything was wonderful, but everything was not wonderful. I was feeling everything wonderful, but I did um a lot of it on my own. So when I got pregnant, he found out that he was getting out of the military. So then he was on this kick on that. He had to get a job, which is fine. We left Colorado to come back to Arizona because that's where we wanted to raise our family. He had been looking for jobs and he told me that he was going to interview for a job in Colorado, but that he would never take it because he would never, he he doesn't want to raise his family there. And he's just using this for practice. Okay, cool. Literally three days later, he took the job. So yes, that's <laughs> weird. So like, what was, his, what was his plan? Like, where did he want to go? He didn't want to go anywhere. He wanted to be needed. He needed to uh, be needed. So mm-hmm. not having that job pulled away from his ego so much that he was willing to take anything, hmm. anything that was, it was a, it was a government job. So to him, it was, it was high class, high importance and he was needed. So he was willing to go anywhere. It could have been New York and he would would have taken it it could have been California he would have taken it so right. um in me in a panic I'm three months pregnant by this point and I'm like well we're going back to Colorado we just moved back here like what are we gonna do we can't mm-hmm. afford just to get a place right now and he's like you stay here 
I'll go to Colorado and work for a little bit. And I was like, I'm three months pregnant. I don't want to do this by myself. I did not sign up to do this by exactly, myself. Exactly. Like, no. He's like, you've got this. Don't worry. <laughs> or it's you'll like the, be, you'll come get me eventually. That's that's the wrong kind of encouragement. Absolutely. <laughs> so he moved. He moved. Literally, he moved in like January. Right. He moved back to Colorado in January. Said he would have a place set up. I did all the doctor's appointments, everything. Um, I begged him, by the way, to like just watch a birthing video just to be prepared. <laughs> did none of it, but that's okay. Um, I ended up moving back to Colorado three weeks before I had my daughter and I had her, I remember having her on a Wednesday and he was like, I'm going to go back to work Monday. And I was like, please don't go back to work Monday. I just had a baby. Right. I just had a baby. It's Wednesday, please. Right. I was like, I remember begging, please, God, don't go back to work. I need you. I have nobody. I have nothing. I need you. Yeah. He's like, my job needs me. I've got to go back to work on Monday. Yes. That's absurd. So, it was absurd. So I, in a panic, my mom, my mom flew out like last minute to come help mm-hmm. me for two weeks, two weeks. Nice. Um, because I just had a baby. Yeah. And then things, things kind of spiraled from there. Um, he got, he became very, became very controlling of her in a very weird way. And of your, of your like, daughter or your mom, my daughter. Okay. So even from like a baby, if she would cry, he would, well, what's wrong with her? You need to fix her right now. As she got older, if she would trip and fall, why were you not holding her hand? She wouldn't have tripped and fall if you were not holding her hand. You're not the first person I've heard. I've heard this from when it comes to like male narcissists is like they blame the mother for a kid just being a kid. Like kids cry. Just babies being a cry. Kid. Like that's that's what babies do. Babies cry. Like, I, yes. how could you have any control over that? Like, like, for example, there was another episode where someone was telling me that, um, you know, the baby was crying because it was hungry and, you know, the mother was a bad mother because it wasn't feeding the baby promptly. It's like, no, babies cry because they're hungry. Hold on. That's baby's only form of communication is crying. Right. And thankfully, I had a background in babies and early childhood education and early childhood development because that was a level he couldn't take me down on. I was like, no, I know what I'm doing in this right, sense. Right, like, right. Thankfully, I had at least that form of confidence because it was anywhere. There was actually a time when she was 18 months old, we went camping mm-hmm. and she was just running her little cute self around <laughs> and she, tr- she tripped and fell and she cut, she cut her knee and it was pretty good. It was a pretty good gash for a little 18 month old and she was oh. crying. And so I got her cleaned up and things like that. And he was so mad that he literally almost left us at the campsite. Like he admittedly was like, I um, I'm, I can't do this. You, that was a horrible decision on your part. You should have held her hand. Look what you did to her. Look what you did to her. And we kind of got into a yelling argument and he was like, I'm about ready to leave you here at this campsite and I'm going to go home. All because and he was going to leave me. Yes. And he was going to leave me with our 18 month old child in the middle of the woods. <laughs> wow. He was dead set ready to do that because of my mistake. Yeah. And I can tell you every single time I look at that scar on her knee, I feel, I still feel a little guilty. Yeah, I get that. But, <sighs> it's but just a little trigger. <laughs> it's not, it's not so much that, you know, you did anything wrong, right? It's a little trigger that, you know, it's just a reminder of that situation. And yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That happens Absolutely. to be daily. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So from then on, we ended up moving from Colorado to Utah, following his career everywhere, because he definitely always had to be the one up. He always had to anything. He had to jump on the opportunity. We moved to Utah. Um, I did find a group of friends 
-hmm. And that was ultimately the the start of our complete demise was me finding this group of friends. They were married. They had children. Um, Everything was, I went and hung out at their house, had coffee. I was a stay-at-home mom for a little bit until Mm -hmm. I found out that we were, I mean, I didn't find out. I took into account that we were struggling financially and I wanted him to be a present dad. So I told him that he did not need to get another job. I wanted him to be a present dad and I was going to get an evening job. So I got an evening job working at a grocery store Mm -hmm. and I had my friend group and, um, he was not happy. He was not happy about me getting a job. He did not want me to get a job. He was furious about that. He was, um, and he would come check on me at at work saying that he, we had, he had to go grocery shopping, but he didn't actually know how to grocery shop. So he would just come and bring my daughter in just to make sure that that's where I was, was at my job. Sounds just like insecurity. very much insecure. Um, Cause now would, you said you have a new group of friends and it's not all about him. And he's wondering if he's going to be exposed. Absolutely. And I can remember hanging out with these women and they're all talking about their relationships and their children and the things that they do and the things that they, you know, all of these things. And I, it was then that I started realizing how toxic my relationship was when I was like, Oh, your husband's support you and they trust you and they love you. And that's really, that's really crazy. Like right. I didn't really understand how bad it had gotten Mm -hmm. until I got exposed to those groups and Mm -hmm. I started hanging out with them. Um, pretty, it was about eight years in eight and a half years in, he got another job promotion or another job opportunity. And we actually moved back to the Arizona area and, um, we're still struggling with trust issue things. We had attempted marriage counseling Um, He refused to go back to marriage counseling or any form of counseling because he felt like he was being picked on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did continue individual counseling and I felt like that's the best decision I've ever made in my life. That's good. In that moment, that is the only reason that I am where I'm at today, like as progressed as far as I am, because I learned what it felt like not to feel guilty about every single thing you do anymore. And that's a good message to get out there. I'm really a big advocate for for mental health awareness. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, like I had a lot of difficulty actually getting comfortable with therapists, but I'm in a position now, you know, after all I've gone through, I actually found a really good therapist. And um, it was, I kind of, I, I gotta say, I, you know, after going through what I went through, I kind of laid my boundaries a little bit with my therapist. And I told her like, the one thing I need out of you is not to play devil's advocate with me. I need validation because I've just been gaslit for nine years and I'm going to need some sort of validation. But when you find that therapist that you guys click and like, like you're just saying, like you feel so much better walking out of there. Oh, it's such a weight off your shoulders. It absolutely is. And I know that my therapist had my best interest in mind and we actually did some behavioral, like cognitive behavioral therapy and to help change like my mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. because I, on top of the emotional abuse that I was going through, I was also like allowing myself to emotionally abuse myself. Mm -hmm. Like I had some horrible self negative self-talk going on. And I know that therapy definitely helped me find that self-love that you really, you need in order to move through life period. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yes. So we moved back to Arizona. Um, we still struggled with things. I went back to an evening job working at a grocery store. He was not happy about that. And I think part of it, he wasn't happy about it because he, I wasn't under his control. And also it made, he was embarrassed that I was working at a grocery store. He was embarrassed that I wasn't 
um, it's an honest doing job. something, it's yeah, do, doing something better because he, he would, that's how he would like validate me. Oh, you're so much better than working at a grocery store. And I'm like, well, I don't really have another option because I don't want my child in childcare and I need right. an evening job. Yeah. Also, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. So it is, what it is. Yeah. What's the problem? I agree. So I do think a little bit had to do with him being embarrassed of being like, yeah, my wife works at a grocery store. Um, it, it was his ego talking for sure. Um, we dealt with things like him going through my phone in the middle of the night, typically while I was sleeping. Um, and I can remember when seeing through therapy, I started setting boundaries and I would be like, it is absolutely not okay to go through my phone. If you have questions, you can ask me and we can talk about it together. Good for you. One night I did stand, I did wake up in the middle of the night and he was going through my phone and he knew immediately, like I was, I was not having it. So I told him that I felt very disrespected. And then I was going to go stay with, I was going to take our daughter and go stay with my parents for the weekend because I needed time and space to think. Yeah. Um, he was furious, furious. I left to go to my parents' house. He drank, got drunk. He, um, got so drunk that he actually barely remembers, but he ended up driving 30 minutes away to a bar, got more drunk. Um, and on his way home driving, he crashed our car, our brand new car. It was like a 2019 at the time, brand new car. Oh and somehow I still don't know the full story because I don't think he knows the full story. Somehow he got himself in the car home somehow, because he admitted that both of the back tires were completely flattened and the car ended up being totaled. That's how bad it was. Wow. It was a brand new Subaru and the car was the car was completely totaled. How did um, he home? Eh. I have no idea how he got him and him, him and the car home. And he just said he woke up the next morning or like that morning. And he just remembered like flashes. And when he went out to look at the car, it was, it was atrocious. So he God, actually didn't with tell him me. Your daughter too. Yep. He didn't end up telling me about the car accident because I was staying with my parents. He didn't end up telling me until he um, took it or got an estimate about it. And then they said that this car was going to be totaled. So he realized he couldn't do anything about it. So then that's when he had to tell me. And then he got mad at me for getting mad. <laughs> Surprise. Oh. How dare <laughs> you said. get mad at me for totaling your brand new car? You're such an asshole. <laughs> I know. Well, he literally said, he was like, well, if you wouldn't have made me mad enough, I wouldn't have done that. And I, that was like my most like a moment i was like so let's let's trace this back right he goes through your phone because of his insecurity you feel disrespected you leave he gets drunk and blames you for him getting drunk because you got mad at him and we're setting boundaries and protecting yourself and in his brain that makes sense yes for the listener right now i have like the gun motion to my head i want to like shoot myself in the head and still to this (laughs) Still to this day, he has that thought, that thought process that if I wouldn't have gotten, if I Sick. wouldn't have gotten mad and left, he wouldn't have done what he did. Sick. Yes. I know. I can relate. I mean, that specific situation hasn't happened to me, but that, that sick train of thought I've certainly experienced. Absolutely. And so um, it was a month after that car accident, we separated and it was an awful separation and an awful divorce. Very expensive, but worth every single penny. <laughs> I heard a funny um, joke recently. Somebody said, Blake, do you know why divorces are so expensive? Why? Because they're worth it. 
Oh my God. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true though. And I don't mean to, I'm not being petty in that way of like, um, I I'm not petty. I'm just proud of where I am and what I'm doing because I do have flashbacks and I'm so thankful that I left when I did, because I couldn't imagine raising my daughter in a house where she would think it's okay to be treated like that. Ever. It's, a, it's amazing that he's the military guy and you have the PTSD. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And I want to say from that point on in my life, I learned my lesson and things got better and I was just so great, but history repeats itself. <laughs> oh God. Should we start the episode over? <laughs> I feel like, okay, let's start the episode over. Okay. But <laughs> um, it is. Maybe I'll insert, maybe talk when, about. when I edit this, I'll insert like the rewind. And we'll go backwards. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So serious. It is a little bit embarrassing to talk about, but I do feel like it's important to talk about because um, patterns, because people are patterns. And if yeah. you don't fix the things that, that um, you did, you made you do what you did before, then you're just going to repeat the pattern. And I am like the perfect example of that. Um, I do give myself credit because the relationship, my next relationship that started in 2019 started very differently. This was an actual true love bombing situation. Okay. So hold on real quick. What's the time between your divorce separation and the new boyfriend? Um, the new boyfriend I met quickly after, like with, like in a, like about a month after our actual wow. separation, okay. our physical separation, our, we had talked about separating for the month. Like we were actually separated in the house the month before I met the boyfriend and then we ended up dating the following month. So yeah, about two months after my actual wow. separation. Okay. Yes. And I feel like that was, it was unexpected. I was not looking for anything and, um, but it was a true love bombing situation and it was very, everything was perfect. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. Everybody around him was wonderful. And was he your knight in shining armor to save you from the abusive relationship that you had before? No, actually, oh, I don't okay. feel like I, yeah, I don't feel like that was the pattern that I was repeating at all. I didn't feel like I needed saving. I feel like I finally was getting what I deserve. Well, I was, I'm more so was, saying, was, he, was that the way he presented himself to you? I don't think so because okay, we okay. really, yeah, we really didn't, he, he never, he never really put on that face of like, I'm here to save you from your okay. horrible relationships, but he, without words, he definitely you know, presented himself to be exactly what I needed. And I know that that wasn't who he was. And so I know that maybe in my mention of being, oh, I was in a super controlling relationship. He'd be like in his brain, the complete opposite and be like, well, I think that you should go and do whatever you want because you're beautiful and you should get attention and you're all these things. And it was very, I think it was subconsciously him doing it the way that narcissists take on personality traits that they know you desire. (laughs) Absolutely. Surely. Yes. And um, this one, this one was a quicker spiral out of control. Uh, I found out, I definitely realized about three months in that something was a little bit off in regards to, again, drinking. This one was a little bit different though. There was excessive drinking frequently, um, daily if he wasn't working and, but it was all very social again. And I was involved and included in everything. And I was very made to feel beautiful and um, special and important in his life. And I think that's, that was a little bit of a different aspect of it. And I think that's why I got sucked in on this one. Mm-hmm. I say Makes this sense. one, it is not a, this one, it was a, that one as well, <laughs> but he also had 
emotional issues, alcohol issues, and all those things that come along with it. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> I wish the viewer, viewer could see you right now. She's shaking her head. I know. She's going, oh, dear God. It is. It is. Again, it's embarrassing to talk about, to, to think that I went through the same thing-ish twice mm-hmm. um, without truly taking the time to learn what I need and what I deserve. You know, forgive me because I don't want this to be like an intrusive question. Do you think two months wasn't enough time for you to recover in between relationships? I absolutely, I believe that yes and no. So I believe that because I know that I'm even different. I'm so much different than I would. I was three years ago when I met this boyfriend after my ex-husband. So I know that growth is continuous, but I know that if I would have met the right person, I would have been ready. I don't think a lot of my issues in our relationship came from me not being ready. It came from me not seeing that this was not my person. Okay. That's fair. Yes. And so thankfully through counseling and things like that, I have also struggled to set boundaries with that one <laughs> in <laughs> the sure past. You're working on it. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Every single day. And I am, I've come so far, but that one definitely, that one hit different too. We had been through a lot and it, um, yeah, it was about three months in when I realized that there was a drinking issue. We did break up for a short amount of time um, because things just kind of got weird and distant. And he came into my life a couple months after that and promised that he would be this person that he, that everybody, everything that I needed. And he quote unquote came clean about his past. He ended up telling me that he had been to rehab twice, that he definitely has an alcohol issue and that he was aware of it and that he was going to work really, really hard to do all these things to be the man that I needed because I was the one that he truly loved. And did, did he ever do like the Alcoholics Anonymous thing? He did not at the time. No. Okay. All right. No, he just, he had gone to rehab and he made it sound like he had actually completed rehab programs when in turn that he did not. Okay. Yes. And he was um, definitely more of a traditional narcissist when it came to love bombing, when it came to um, gaslighting, definitely. He used the word you're crazy on the regular (laughs) when I would call him out on stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You're crazy on the regular. And it was, is definitely toxic in its own way. Absolutely. I'm just thankful that I never got to the point where I invited him into my home permanently. I never invited him into my daughter's life permanently. And so how was he with your daughter? He was amazing with my daughter because I wouldn't let him be around my daughter if he wasn't sober. Oh, good move. Yeah. Well, that's, that's absolutely good mama bear instinct. That's good for you. And, and honestly, he, I stopped allowing him around my daughter when I realized that he actually wasn't going to that he wasn't putting in the work to change. I don't know why I have, I know I should, I should have kept the same respect for myself as I did for my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, because I wouldn't allow him around her at all after actually like the first year. So that way wasn't it. That wasn't a thing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Absolutely. I had struggled for another year, year and a half after our breakups, um, setting boundaries and not allowing him back into my life with broken promises. But it just, it was, it, it's really hard to see somebody struggle so bad that you see so much potential in, and that's where the empathy comes in. Yeah. And that's really, it's really rough because being an empathetic person and setting boundaries when you're not used to setting boundaries, those are really tough thing. Well, I mean, and also you're trying to, you said it was the traditional love bombing thing and you're constantly trying to get back to that. And, you know, 
the person that you fall in love with in that love bombing stage, like that's who you want to believe that they are. And then Absolutely. you're sitting there going like once, once the mask falls off and you see the person that they truly are, you go, what the hell happened to you? Like, how do I yeah, get you back? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard with people like him as well, because it's hard to tell where the alcoholism starts and the narcissism starts. So was it, did the narcissism start first and that's what led him to alcoholism or was it the alcoholism alcoholism that started first that led him to the narcissistic behavior? Perhaps so that he was, was self-medicating to-, to combat his, you know, unspoken guilt of being a narcissist. Yeah, there's no telling and there's no telling until he fixes the things that he needs to fix for himself. And you'll probably and that's, never know. Again, not my problem. Right, yeah. <laughs> not my for- problem at all. I wish the listener could see me right now. I just pumped my fist. Good for you. Yeah. yeah, it's not your problem. Good for you. I think one thing to mention is I sought counseling through this. And mm-hmm. I remember in my in my struggle to set boundaries, I would ask the question, why am I having such a hard time setting these boundaries? And I can remember one of the counselors that I absolutely loved working with. She told me that sometimes it's not as important to understand the reason why as much as it is just to move forward. Mm -hmm. which in a sense, I do believe is true. But for me, when I actually figured out the reason why I was struggling so much to set boundaries with this specific person, it did help me be more patient with myself and forgive myself for my continuous patterned behavior. And so I guess that's something I want to touch on just a little bit. Um, Just real quick, as you're talking, I'm thinking, personally speaking, and maybe this is where you and I differ a little bit. I don't care so much about the why. I'm more... I'm okay with dealing with things as they are like, and that's different than acceptance. That's not necessarily acceptance. I don't care why she is the way she is. um, But I know I can't change it. So the more I dwell over the why it's just futile, you know? Yes. And that makes sense. I think I was more questioning, why am I repeating this pattern? Why is it now that I'm a very self-aware person? I'm empathetic and I am now, I have, such a strong self-love for myself. Why am I continuing to repeat this pattern and how do I prevent it from here on out? Right. And so like, that's what I was trying to focus on. Why is this so hard? And then so through, even though I wasn't setting boundaries with this gentleman, this, um, my ex-boyfriend, gentleman, gentleman. (laughs) I also was trying, attempting to date. Like I was attempting to, you know, date and, you know, see what else is out there. And I know that I was recognizing red flags right off the bat. I know I was setting boundaries right off the bat. And I was like, Oh, it's so easy with these other people. Why am I still struggling with this one person? So in some self self discovery, and I'm not sure exactly when it hit, but I think it was during one of his more recent drunken episodes of reaching out to me. And it just kind of clicked with me of, I have like rewind now to 2005. So before my ex-boyfriend, before my ex-husband, during my teenage years, my older brother was an alcoholic. Oh. He, yes, my older brother was an alcoholic. He is 11 years older than me. Me and him had an amazing relationship. He was my biggest fan, but I know he had issues. He passed away when I was 16 because of drinking and driving. Oh boy. I'm sorry. That's yeah. okay. That I know the, that pays so, the story off a little bit. It absolutely does. So that's, it kind of just, there was just something inside me that just rewinded. And I was like, this, this is my reason why I feel like 
through these men that are emotionally unavailable and struggle with alcohol issues and have narcissistic tendencies, whether they're diehard narcissists, I'm not a doctor, I don't know, that I feel like I was repeating a pattern in order to subconsciously like save someone like my brother. My brother was a good man and a good person, but he struggled with addiction for sure. And I can remember my dad sitting down and telling him when he was 27, that if he continues the life that he's living, he will not make it to 30. And he did not. He made it another six months, I think, before that. And I know that was so traumatic as a 16-year-old girl to go through that, to watch my family go through that. And I think that's where that pattern started of me trying to save these men that have these same issues. And I needed that. I needed to find that reason why. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't really have anything to say. It's as long as you realize that, I mean, it's, it's a sad circumstance. Um, but everything I've learned through this whole, you know, your brother wasn't a narcissist, right? Not as far as I know, but I was so much younger than him that I would not have been able to tell you. I just know that I had a good relationship with him when he was around. It sounds like he had his own demons and and unfortunately, you know, um, judging from your pattern and it sounds like you know like you said you're you're trying to mend these men who have demons um but you also did say a couple minutes ago that it's not your job to fix them it is not and, and I'm that glad is you realize that now absolutely I absolutely 110 percent realize that now and I feel like I in sharing my story and in just going through about my life I do enjoy sharing my story because I do want people first off to not feel embarrassed for repeating patterns to not feel embarrassed for um, getting involved in toxic relationships and to know that you know there there's so much self-love that can that it can prevent you from continuing repeating these horrible patterns so how do is there um specific patterns now in terms of like boundaries or what do you do to heal yourself? What do you do now to, um, kind of break the cycle? My biggest thing that I do that I did get from therapy is daily self-love talks because I feel like a lot of my, um, pattern repeating came from my lack of feeling worthy and deserving. And so I literally daily self-love talk. Like I have set up certain times during the day in the shower because mm-hmm. I find that amazing <laughs> while I do the dishes, because I cannot go a day without doing dishes <laughs> and, you know, typically on a drive and I will just naturally, I don't write anything down. I just naturally sit and I just, I mostly say it out loud, but my counselor said, you can say it in your head. You can say it out loud, say everything that you love about yourself that you like, just list it off, just keep going. So I do, I say, I love that I am authentic. I love that I am brave. I love that I am. And even the things that I'm working on, I'm going to say that I love those things anyway. I love that I set boundaries. I love that I have enough respect for myself that I won't tolerate less than what I deserve. Mm -hmm. Even if those are things I'm still struggling with, because the more you say it, the more you're going to do it. And, you know, Blake, I got to say, I love the fact that you are so strong in telling your story. And then you can sit there and you can say, you know, I've realized I don't want to call them toxic, but you've realized your own behaviors that have led to your ultimate hardships. And, you know, it gets to a point where like, you should be proud of that. And, and like, honestly too, 
you are going to be a much better person for yourself. You're going to be a much better mother for your daughter. And you're going to be much better in future relationships because now you can rectify the issues that carried you from all those toxic relationships. Now you can learn from them. Absolutely. And I can tell you that I'm absolutely proud of where I am today in comparison to where I was six years, three years, a year ago. And I am going to share a funny story about my daughter. And this is where I know that this pays off. My daughter came home from school and she told me that her friend, which was a boy, she did admit having a crush on him. She said, I am very disappointed in my friend. I said, what happened? She said, my friend said that he was going to sit by me at lunch today. And when I went to go sit with him at lunch, he had another friend sitting there with him. And I asked him, can I sit here? And he said, no, I have this other friend sitting here. And she said, okay. So she comes and tells me the story. And she's like, you know what? I don't have room for people that lie in my life. I I need to focus on other things. And I was like, okay, I think that's absolutely, yes. So that right there, because she's with me like 95% of the time, that right there was proof that I know that what I'm doing is rubbing off on her and it's awesome. Look what she learned from you. That's good. Yes. Good for you. She is six years old and she said, I need to focus on other things. Yes, girl, what you do. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, good for you. Yes. Good for her. That is, that's beautiful. So um, listen, we're coming to the end of the hour. Um, what is, what does the future look like for Blake? Are you back to dating again? I am attempting to date and mm-hmm. I am, I am trying to stay hopeful about it because I know that your experience comes from the way that your mindset is set. Um, I've gone on several first dates, no second dates, but I am enjoying, I'm enjoying the experience, whether or not this person is for me, I'm enjoying the experience. And I love the fact that I'm able to recognize and set those boundaries of, yeah, I don't think this is really meant for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also just really focusing on myself, just focusing on myself, focusing on my daughter, focusing on my work, focusing on that and just kind of going with the flow. Yeah. I can, I can identify with that because like, from my standpoint, you know, like I'm going through this divorce now, but I think like, listen, I've been married, I've had my kids and you know, if I didn't, I'd be a little more in a panic, but right now, like I'm not even planning on dating anytime soon, but when I do, I know it'll be for the right reasons. And I know I can kind of eliminate those patterns that have, have put me in the wrong positions in the past. Absolutely. I think it's super important to take the time and understand those patterns and really focus on healing those triggers. Absolutely. Before moving forward with anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, Blake, listen, thank you so much for being on this episode of Dimming the Gaslight. I was so excited for you to get your story out there. I hope you, uh, I hope it felt good doing it. It absolutely felt amazing. Good. Great. I'm so glad. Well, everybody, listen, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for Blake. Um, you can follow her at on Instagram uh, at um, and still she smiles. It's and underscore still underscore she underscore smiles. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Blake. And uh, until next time, everybody.